Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rocket Nation's Football Podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is uh, after the box score. Uh, joining you after Missouri got pretty much thoroughly trounced by Tennessee. Uh, final score 35 12. Bad guys. The game really wasn't all that close and not super impressive. Uh, BK, initial thoughts. Go. Not good, man. Not good. Um, I came into this one, and I wrote about this for Rockham Nation. We talked about it on Tuesday whenever we had our podcast. This is one of those where Drinkwitz had his first opportunity to really get the energy going for Mizzou fans. You know, it's something that Matt Campbell did this at Iowa State, where he, 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 has, a really clo- he has a really close game or two against top 25 ranked opponents in his first year. And same thing... Um, at Purdue with Jeff Brom. They both had some really close games against top 25 opponents their first seasons. And then year two, they broke through with some upsets against top 25 opponents, and that's when those fan bases bought into the program. They were officially all in on what their coaches were building, and you see these narratives start to build, where it's like, oh, that's the next young coach that's going to get the big job soon. And that's followed them basically since, despite the fact that they really haven't taken any steps from that place. Those two programs, Iowa State and Purdue. They're kind of stagnant, but everybody still views those coaches as being up-and-comers. Mm-hmm. At Mizzou, that never happened under Barry Odom. The final, He finally got that big win in Drew Locke's final season against Florida, but by that point it was too late. The narrative has, had already created itself, and it was that Odom can't win the big one here. 
So Drinkwitz, it didn't have to come against Tennessee. This this was just his first opportunity for this, but he had an opportunity on Saturday against Tennessee to be able to have one of those types of games. You don't have to win it, but you got to make it interesting late. Mm-hmm. And Mizzou wasn't able to do that. It was never really all that close, to be totally honest. Uh, they tried to make it interesting in the fourth quarter, and they just weren't able to do so. But just too many mistakes, man. Just too many mistakes from start to finish. Drops, penalties. Um, it, it just it was ugly. What was your biggest takeaway from this kind of as a big picture view? This came out flat. You know, it just seemed like... The play calling, I don't think, was super great. Uh, zone read on third and nine... I mean, even if you have Lamar Jackson, that's tough to pull off in the SEC. Um, I didn't like a whole lot of kind of the, the, the scripted plays. I didn't think Robinson was making that great of calls, honestly. I don't know if the if he needed to keep or if he was reading that correctly to keep. But, I mean, the dude was one for four passing, you know, zero yards. He is yet to run for positive yards on the ground. Now, granted, he only had three opportunities today, but – just stunk it up early. And I know the people, uh, the guys on the broadcast are kind of talking about this too. It's like, oh, well, we could second guess all we want. And yes, that's true. But, you know, again, after last week's game, I was more impressed by Connor Baslack. And going through the advanced stuff, he was not as good passing as I as it seemed he was. But it seemed, you know, by the eyes only instead of advanced stats, by eyes he seemed cool, under control. Uh, and and when he got into the game, the offense became way more competent, <laughs> like just flat out way more competent. Uh, I didn't mean they scored any more points, but um, I don't know. You know, if if we have a quarterback competition, so be it. Obviously, Drink's not going to comment on that in public because he shouldn't. Um, and there's no point in committing right now. Again, this entire year doesn't count for anything, so you might as well see what these guys can do. Um, but after two games. I'm kind of in the the Basilek camp. Let him let him sling it. Let him start. Uh, see what the young guy can do. I think I'm with you. I wasn't there last week. Uh, my takeaways piece last week after the game. I will own up to it. I said there was no quarterback controversy <laughs> here because, frankly, I think there wasn't a quarterback controversy. Sure. I think that that was true going into this game. Yeah. The entire first quarterback, or excuse me, the the entire first quarter belonged to Sean Robinson. He played the entire quarter. And he stunk. Yeah. He was terrible. And so just like last week, it was the same script. First quarter goes to Robinson. First series of the second quarter goes to Connor Bazelik. And Bazelik was better. Yeah. He came in and immediately made a couple of plays. There was that bad snap where he was able to convert. Um, ended up having that first down. Mm-hmm. He had a couple of nice where he like he threw over the top of the defense, which was Oh, to great. Christopherson. Yeah, that was a good one. It, it was awesome. Um, he, he just... He opened things up offensively, and the offense just looked better with him out there. And so it was the right move, in my opinion, to keep him out there. And I'm glad that Drinkwitz wasn't so set in his ways where he's like, no, we're going to make Robinson work. He's our starting quarterback. We're going back to him. No, he went straight back to Basilic, and Basilic was good again. And so he kept him in there for the rest of the game. Robinson never took another snap. And so my opinion this week is basically the opposite of what it was last week. I think Bazelok should start the next game. He's been the better quarterback most recently, and neither of these two has been to the point where like you're any sort of consistent trend here. Bazelok I thought was worse in the first game than Robinson. I thought Robinson on second look was better in that game. 
And in this game, it was no contest. Mm-hmm. Basil was clearly the better of the two. So I think you go into next week and he's your starter. And then from there, you see where it goes. I think you give him the whole first quarter, just like you did with Robinson in this one. And then you give Robinson the first series of the second quarter, just like you did with Bazelik in this one, and you just flipped the script. Yeah. And that's that's what I would do going into the game against LSU. I'm good with that. You know, this is it's a it's a weird season, and and football is a tough sport for stats, anyways, because you can't really project uh, too much further out with even with the smaller sample size. But this is where small sample sizes come in. Tennessee against South Carolina. Had some success on the ground, but never really broke anything big. Never was like super like converting or consistent with the ground game. They threw what twenty three passes, fourteen catches for one hundred ninety yards. So actually, Mizzou outpassed Tennessee, even with Josh Palmer. It was Eric Gray and Ty Chandler uh, combined one hundred ninety five yards on the ground. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> like, and especially you know Missouri's front uh, last week did okay. Uh, with Alabama's run game, not super great, but again, no one does super great against Alabama's ground game, but they they held their own. If you're moving to a 3-4 defensive front um, with, you know, basically, you know, five defensive backs and two linebackers, that's a lot of beef up front and a lot of speed in the back. You should be able to at least attack the point where the ball's coming. And I think the biggest takeaway for defense, other than the fact that, hello, Tennessee ran all over us, that Missouri's linebackers weren't very good, uh, or their safeties. Oh. Uh, Martez Manuel got beat up a couple times. Once Devin, uh, Devin Nicholson left and Cameron Wilkins came in, Wilkins just hit the wrong gap a couple of times, and that led to some big runs. I was just – Nick Bolton can't clean up everything, right? You know, like he's he's only one guy. So I was kind of disappointed to see their performance against the ground game, uh, at least for the defense. Nick Bolton had an all-time great game for a Mizzou defender. 17 tackles in this one. Um, it's tied for the second most by any Mizzou player over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Sean Weatherspoon had 20 tackles against Buffalo back <laughs> in 2008. Yeah. And then you've got Kentrell Brothers, Andrew Wilson, and Sean Weatherspoon, all with one game of 17 or more tackles. It's just the third time that this has happened against a Power 5 opponent for Mizzou mm-hmm. in the last 20 years. A great game, uh, unquestionably, by Nick Bolton. The problem is the linebackers next to him were terrible yeah. in this game. Just awful. Um, I, I thought last week one of my biggest takeaways was Nicholson. Pretty yeah. good. Pretty good in that first game. Yeah, I, I, th- I liked what a lot of what I saw from him, and they were using him in really interesting ways. It was the opposite in this game. He was not very good in this one. Uh, he didn't set a great edge at times. And then more importantly, and you mentioned this, Nate, just a brutal game from Cameron Wilkins. He showed some things last year, and he had some moments, but this is one where he's kind of kind of like last week with Birdine where he just he burned that tape and never looked at it again. <laughs> yeah. That's how this is going to be for Wilkins. There were multiple times where he just he filled the wrong gap, he flowed the wrong direction, and it left a wide-open hole where he was supposed to be for his run fit, he didn't get there, and then suddenly you've got a running back from Tennessee running wide open in the open field. It can't happen. It's got to get fixed, and that was that was the issue defensively for them this week. They just got blown off the ball, and the running game just destroyed them. More than 200 yards, 218 yards by, by the Tennessee running backs last year. We saw a little bit of this as well. Wyoming, Ole Miss, mm-hmm. Kentucky all rushed for more than 200 yards against the Tigers' defense. 
This is something that's got to get fixed, man. If you're going to go with this 3-4 and you've got more defensive tackles than normal, you can't get blown off the ball there. And then your linebackers have to be able to fill the gap. It was just – it was bad yeah, today. I mean, let's give credit to Tennessee's offensive line, though. Those guys were excellent technicians as far as blocking goes. They were funneling the right way. They were – you know, Missouri's defense, their eyes were moving in a place where they there was an offensive lineman there. Like, pretty much any time they tried to attack – so the play scheme and the execution were great by the line. But, yeah, there's just no push on the defensive line. The only time you saw the defensive line win was that uh, goal line stand when we're already in the second half and the game's pretty much over anyway. They're just playing for pride. Like, that's the only time I saw push. Um, and, you know, we talked going into the season, hey, you know, Kobe Whiteside, what can you do without Jordan Elliott? Story over, over two games is not a whole lot. And that's fine. He might not be the type of guy who can, you know, command double teams, break them, and then free somebody else up like Markel Lutze uh, or Akio Byers. But, you know, it's fine to put three defensive tackles out there. Someone's still got to make a play because Trey Williams and, and Trajan Jeffcoat are one guy on one side of the line, and they can't just generate the only pressure. Someone else has got to step up. And right now it's just a, it's a defensive line full of block eaters. And, yeah, if our linebackers and our, out, and our buck ends can't – can't hit home then it doesn't matter how many blocks you would consume because there's someone running down the field and there were flashes today mcguire had a nice sack darius robinson had a couple of nice plays out there like you said jeff coat had a couple of opportunities mostly early but that's kind of to be expected for a guy that just got back into the swing of things recently so there were flashes there but there was no consistency and that's what you're going to need from this group buyers had a few really nice plays in this one as well where if you had somebody plugging the hole, Byers probably makes the play whenever they try to cut back, but just there was nobody plugging the hole. I, I agree with you. I think you do have to give a lot of credit to Tennessee. One of my takeaways today, Tennessee's just better than I gave them credit for being. I've talked down to Tennessee for a decade now, and more often than not, I've been right yeah. because they have com- been completely overrated based on where they are coming into the season and relative to where they are at the end of the year. I think this might be the second best team in the SEC East this year. I think Florida is clearly the best. They are the cream of the crop in the East going into this season and like where we are today. I think Tennessee's got a pretty good shot to be a number two. It would not surprise me if they end up being better than Georgia this year. I was going to say, we'll see. Uh, Georgia plays Auburn later tonight. Um, And as we can tell, one game to another in any season, let alone this COVID season where everyone's playing a conference opponent, these things can change by the hour. So, yeah, let's let's revisit that once we see how Georgia does against Auburn. There's a good chance they get stomped, and if that's the case, then yeah, I'm 100% with you. But um, I think JT Daniels is actually getting the start today, so we'll see how Georgia's offense looks with a competent quarterback yeah. uh, calling the plays there. Um, only other thing, and like I don't have any targeting data. That'll come on Tuesday after I watch this game a thousand times. But um, obviously not a whole lot of success with the passing game, but there's only three guys – uh, who had multiple catches out of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys who were targeted. Uh, it's David Hazleton had four catches. Tyler Beatty had two and Jalen Knox had four. Um, again, you know, we talked about, Hey, let's generate some touches for Kiki Chisholm. Nope. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, maybe we should get involved. Oh, you know, some speedier guys like Dom Jacinto, Jacinto, well, who dropped the pass, but uh, making sure that we're getting more speedy guys out in there. Well, no, not really. Uh, we threw to the tight ends like three times. <laughs> Logan Christopherson and Daniel Parker Jr. got one, and then Nico Hay out of nowhere was targeted Ugh. on third down. On a third down right like, after they ran a quarterback power sweep. Yeah. That, that was that first quarter, some of the play calling Bad. was brutal. Bad. Brutal. Yeah. 
Yeah. Drink Drink turned it up after a while. He ended up having a pretty good game when it, when it came to like some of the designs and the sequencing, but that first quarter was bad. Yeah. Yeah, and like, look, guys, we told you this team was not going to be super great. We talked about things that could be positives. We talked about little things that you can look for to see growth over the year. But we told you they were going to be bad. So this kind of outcome can absolutely happen. We're not, you know, we're not trying to blow sunshine up y'all's butts, especially the team. Um, but I was really disappointed, and I know we already talked about it. But that those first quarter scripted plays were not good. Some of the decisions early were good. I guess what I'm getting at is like it sucks that this team really starts fighting when they're down by 20. I'm glad that they can. Uh, I'd prefer that they're not. <laughs> I understand. I can't. I can't get that. I can't just say, "Hey, don't lose by twenty. Don't go down by 20. You know, I can't just have that happen. Um, but I'd like to see that type of fight, that type of creativity, uh, earlier in the game, so you don't get to a point where you absolutely have to fight just to keep it close. Yeah, and the receivers didn't give their quarterbacks any help in this one. Yeah. Uh, way, 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 way too many drops. According to the official stats, it was five on the day. But they were really costly. Knox dropped multiple third down passes yeah. that would have extended drives. Dominic Jacinto, as you mentioned, drops that big play over the top that was a well-designed pass. It was a little underthrown, Slightly. but should yeah. have been caught. That's that's a catch that you've got to make. And then Kiki Chisholm, we mentioned him. He dropped a third or a second down pass. It ended up, it ended up not mattering because they scored a couple of plays later. But that's a catch that he's got to make across the middle. So too many drops from them. Connor Bazelik's day would have looked even better if he was able to add some of those, mm-hmm. and most of them weren't his fault. They were solid throws. Not spectacular all the time, but solid throws that should have been caught, so it would have been even better than what it ended up being on the numbers. Um, I think we can make a definitive statement after two games. Damon Hazleton and Jalen Knox are the top two targets on this team. Yeah. I know what we heard yeah. all preseason about the Kiki Chisholm hype and how great he is and how exciting he's going to be to no, it's Damon <laughs> Hazelton and Jalen Knox. Yeah. Those are the top two targets for this team right now. Hazelton is getting the majority of the targets. Knox is getting all of the manufactured touches, anything that's behind the line of scrimmage for the most part. Those jet sweeps, that's all going to him. Any of the quick screens, any of that stuff, that's mostly going to him. He's working across the middle a lot, and he's your third down outlet. Damon Hazelton's kind of your big play guy. He's going to take the top off of the defense. He's the guy that when they've got third and 12, they're going to try to get it to him. I don't know what Kiki Chisholm's role is. Like, they seem to want to use him on these quick slants, but they've only targeted him on the quick slant, I think, twice so far this year. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what else he's supposed to bring to the offense. And maybe it's just, hey, you're the backside X, and that's what you're going to play, and there's not going to be a whole lot of targets that come your way in this offense. Maybe that's something worth noting and could be problematic maybe for the future for recruiting if they're looking for an X receiver. Um, but I, I don't know, man, I've been really surprised by his lack of involvement. I said all week, my early prediction would be, they're going to find a way to get him involved early. And they absolutely did not do that. They did not go out of their way to try to find a way to get Kiki Chisholm the ball. What'd you make of that? You know, we, what was it after the Alabama game? I was like, okay, did they just keep him in reserve since Alabama was going to be a loss? Did Alabama know that Chisholm was the big weapon, so they took him away. And that's kind of undetermined. You know, it's it's tough to find him, you know, in kind of the limited view that you have in a, in a, in a broadcast game. You know, I'm, I'm curious going back into this, but I'm like, last year, or, you know, over his career, I guess, does Drink have a reputation for big receivers going over on slants and people just instinctively take that away? Because... Yeah, I have no idea. The only thing I can think of is like, hey, why don't you, um, you know, 
Kiki's a big dude. I don't know what kind of corners are on him, but just have him run run a nine route. Just run down the field and uh, toss it somewhere between out of bounds and, and the in, in the yard line. Just have him do it on the back shoulder catch. Just see if he can out jump and, and muscle his way for a catch. Like, it's a low percentage throw, uh, but it, why not? It, it's something that I feel like he would be good at other than just a slant. And I'm going to have to look at this game again, but I just I don't know what kind of routes he's running or if they're being taken away. And so I am I am befuddled, BK. I don't know what's, what he's doing. Um, I, I wonder if maybe – I don't – here's the other thing. How much do they want to get him involved? How much do they need feel the need to get him involved? Because I do think Damon Hazelton, outside of a couple of drops, and I said coming into the year after watching him at Virginia Tech, like that's something you're going to deal with. He is mm-hmm. he's Jamon Moore. He's going to make plays. Yeah. He's going to miss plays. And you live with the missed stuff because he makes some plays that make you really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they really like the way that Jalen Knox is working out for them in the slot. And he's doing exactly what they want him to outside of those drops today. Obviously, on third down, got to get that cleaned up. Yeah. But... Again, it happens. Um, so who are you taking out to be able to manufacture those touches for Chisholm? Because I was going to say, maybe you try to get him some slot reps because that's kind of where you can put a guy to give him better opportunities, be at, be that big slot for him. Yeah. But if you do that, you're taking Hazleton and Knox out of those reps, and I don't necessarily think that they deserve to be taken out of those mm-hmm. reps based on the way they've played. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think right now I, this might just be what they are. <laughs> that sucks. I, I don't know if that's like, it's not super inspiring that that's where we are, but we heard so much about Chisholm and then I just, I haven't seen it yeah. in the game so far. Yeah. Again, it's two games, but you know, but three targets last week, two for sure today. Like it's just, okay. That, and I want to be clear, like I'm not criticizing Kiki Chisholm. This is not a criticism of him, the player. And I'm not saying he's like overrated or anything like that. I'm saying, like, I wonder if maybe he was making some plays in practice that are not translating to the games. And that doesn't mean he's incapable of doing so. It means it might not just be a part of the offense once they get into the game day. And if that's the case, like, all of that hype, as exciting as it is, and maybe he's going to be a great NFL receiver, uh, it might not show itself this year in the games. And so that's – it could be disappointing for Mizzou fans if that's the way that it goes, but I don't know how you change Well, here's my thought. Red zone. Goal line. How many times have the Tigers found themselves either inside the 15 or right on the goal line? Not all that often, right? Especially when the game's in play. Maybe everyone was so impressed with Kiki because he was, you know, this big target in the end zone, whether on a slant or a fade, even though I hate them. Um, But just a play where he's bigger than the guy covering him. You know, maybe that's what they saw. And maybe that's what they ran. You know, the first couple days of practice, they were doing red zone goal line stuff. So maybe that's what it was, and we just haven't been in the red zone or haven't been on the goal line to see, you know, this is what he's good for. Uh, I'd like to think he's more than just, you know, big tight end who catches jump balls playing receiver. Like, I'd like him to be a little bit more than that, but maybe that's it. He's not great in the open field, and red zone is his thing. But, again, the dude's got over 12, I think it's 2,200 yards in his career. Granted, at Angelo State, I understand that, but I don't know, man. I'm sad. I want to see more Kiki, and we just don't see it. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, they had a couple of opportunities in the red zone today, and we didn't see yeah. it. Like the, I guess not technically the red zone, but, like, the scoring yeah, zone, right? The they 40, were They had second yeah. and six from the 28 on Tennessee, 
and they ended up with a 4th and 11 from the Tennessee 33, where Mevis, by the way, we'll get to him in a little bit, <laughs> that guy's a stud, um, ended up kicking the field goal there, but they had a Tyler Beatty run on 2nd and 6 from the 28, don't love that, yeah. and then on 3rd and 8, Connor Bazelik was sacked, that was kind of in that scoring zone, if you will. Yeah. And then later on in the game, when Mizzou had a first and 10 from the 29, Bazelik ended up having a scramble. Then he had an incomplete pass to Chisholm. And then there was a complete pass to Larry Roundtree for all of one yard. And then you end up with the fourth and 14, and it doesn't go well, and the game's over, basically. But they they had a couple of opportunities to get him involved, even in the scoring zone, red zone, whatever you want to call it. And they didn't do it really today, so... I don't know, man. It's puzzling. It's really surprising. It's one of the biggest surprises of the early season to me is his lack of involvement. And I know earlier this week we heard from Eli Drinkwitz. He doesn't want anybody to question it. I think it's fair to question it right now. But it's one of the biggest surprises this year because a lot of this is not all that surprising. Larry Roundtree's awesome. Nick Bolton is awesome. The safeties are solid. Uh, you've got some real standouts on this team. I think Damon Hazleton's exciting. Jalen Knox is fun to watch. A lot of this is not surprising. The, the quarterback play has been uneven. This is kind of what we expected from this team going into the year. The one real surprise, though, or one of them, is Kiki Chisholm and his lack of involvement. Yeah, so last one of the one of the things I pointed out in the preview was that, you know, when you play in Alabama, like we did last week, it doesn't really matter a whole lot of things. You're mostly just figuring out how you look against a good team. But against Alabama, Missouri had five scoring opportunities, which is you got the ball inside your opponent's 40. That is considered a scoring opportunity. They were inside Alabama's 40 five times, scored 19 points. That's 3.8 points per opportunity. Okay? That's not going to cut it. If you want to score 21 points, guess what? You need to have seven trips, basically, six or seven trips to get there. That's not efficient with your opportunities. That's not efficient with your possessions. But it was Alabama. Okay, cool, fine. Just did some quick math. Um Missouri had five scoring opportunities. Oh, that sounds familiar. Against Tennessee. Had 12 points. How many points is that? That's 2.4 points per opportunity. Again, not going to cut it. Um, Simply put. Now, granted, like you said, our thicker, Harrison Bevis, boss. Like, this is what you expect from a scholarship three-star specialist. Just He's awesome. Nailing it from 60, right? Like, that dude is awesome. That is worth the scholarship. Tucker McCann, you can argue probably a little bit back and forth whether he was worth it. Whatever. This dude is yay, hooray, we have a kicker. Okay. He's four for four, makes from 27, 27, 37, and 50. He has also yet to allow a kickoff to be returned. He makes his extra points. He makes his extra points. (laughs) It's awesome, man. He's... I, my heart rate goes down when he comes into the game, which is wild for a college kicker. It really is. It really is. So, yeah, like he is very, very good. I want him to be a weapon. I want him to be a weapon in a close game. I don't particularly like us kicking field goals while we're down by 20. Uh, sometimes that's just the way it is, and that's fine. I understand it. But um, we have the tool it'd be best if we didn't use the tool because if you're only coming away with three yard or three points per opportunity you're going to need to generate a lot of scoring opportunities and so far granted against you know what are they tennessee is a top 12 defense according to s&p uh of course alabama is like you know first or 10th or something like that mm-hmm. so like look these defenses are awesome it's going to be tough to generate scoring opportunities still when you do you need to capitalize because that's that's one way to keep close to a team that's completely um, you're overmatched with is to 
score more points per your limited opportunities. So we're not seeing that yet. And 3.8 and what I say, 2.4, that's not going to be a season-long trend that we can that we can keep. However, I do think that's going to change a little bit when the competition lightens up a little bit. Yeah, the problem is, I mean, we, we're recording this mid-afternoon on Saturday, so it's before we get to see what LSU looks like against Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming LSU is going to look quite Probably. good against Vanderbilt. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, that's going to be a tough one as well, potentially, when it comes to the opponent. That being said, hey, if you look at what Mississippi State had success with against LSU – Connor Bays looks probably the quarterback of the two mm-hmm. that Mizzou has as options that could replicate some of that. Not yeah. all of it, but some of yeah. what Mississippi State was able to do against LSU. So I think that's even one more notch in the direction of Bayslick going into that game. I agree. Yeah, short passes that get turned, you know, three yards in the air and 60 yards on the ground. Like, yep, that's going to be uh, that's going to be Bazilek. Um So... We'll see. Obviously, Drinkwitz isn't going to tell us jack squat. Uh, really, we're not going to know no. until you know the first snap is taken by our offense. So that's fine. That's okay. Um, but I think if the fans, probably the writers, certainly you and me, uh, kind of seems like the writing's on the wall. But we'll give both kids a shot because who cares? This is just a this is a program building year. So just let them out there, see what you can do. Did anything surprise you? today like what what was there out there that surprised like individually right like the result for me was surprising I am surprised that Mizzou lost that game 35 to 12 I thought it would be closer going in than that I didn't think they would win necessarily but I thought it would be closer than that but was there anything individually that really surprised you out of this I'm surprised that Tennessee didn't throw for 11 billion yards Um, (laughs) I thought they were primed to do that they had the weapons to do that I did not anticipate getting gashed on the ground for over 200. That was shocking. Yeah. I, I I know our defensive line, you know, again, we talked about this. You got three D tackles. You should be able to plug it, and the linebacker should be able to clean up. I was really surprised, disappointed um, in that result. Um, and really just, I don't know, I, I, we don't, we're not really a good starting team. Now, granted, we're, we're, we're judging that off of, Alabama that was going full tilt and Tennessee who was pretty damn good. So maybe I'm 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 being too optimistic about what I should expect from this team, but they just looked flat and that that was surprising and disappointing. Um but from a positive uh surprise, really just Harrison Bettis, man. Thicker. He can knock yeah. it from forever. So that's what I got. What about you? I was I had a so I'm of two minds on this, but I was a little impressed by the corners and what they were able to do against the Tennessee receivers. As you mentioned, the, the Tennessee passing game was not as effective as maybe I would have expected mm-hmm. going into this game. And they had some speed outside for sure that gave Mizzou a few issues. I wonder if it would have been different if this game was closer later where they would have continued attacking out there. But their running game was just so good, maybe not. Um, I thought Mizzou's corners more often than not were in a good position. Now, there is a next step that needs to take place. Let's get our head around, boys. <laughs> Rakestraw, <laughs> yeah. I understand he was upset with the call in the end yeah. zone. I, I, you, it could have gone either way. I, I get it. Um, I understand Mizzou fans being upset about that. I think there's another call that we can maybe get to here in a little bit, <laughs> Nate, that was much worse than that one, much more egregious yeah. than that one, and had a much bigger impact on the game than that one. 
Um, but Rakestraw's got to get his head around. If he doesn't get his head around there, they're going to call that. Now, he wasn't playing the ball. He was playing the man, and that's exactly what they teach you not to do as a corner. Yep. Uh, same thing happened to Birdie in a couple of plays. Adam Sparks had a couple of decent plays in not this bad. one. Um, so I, the biggest thing for me is they've got to get their head around and they've got to improve their ball skills. Um, when you're, when you're going up for the ball, you, you want to make a play on the ball. You don't want to just play your man. And too often, I think the Mizzou corners, and this has been a consistent issue for them over the years, they're playing their man as much as the ball. And they're not actually going up for any ball production. They're not going up for the pass breakup. They're not going up for an interception. They're just trying to make sure their man doesn't catch it. Man, these takeaways are huge in a game like yeah. this. And Mizzou really never had any opportunities to come down with anything, despite the fact that if they had better ball production and better ball skills, maybe they could have. So it's something that's both an improvement from last week. They, they were in the right spots to be able to make a play. Now they've just got to get their head around and start making some ball production. And they're freshman corners. These are the types of mistakes they're yeah. going to make. I know Rakestraw was upset. I was like, dude, I don't know what you're, <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking. Now, obviously, he's the one that's in the hand fighting, so he knows what it felt like. But yeah, it's the people who are observing the the referees, the sideline judges who are looking at this. And I saw kind of what they saw. Like, dude, you weren't even playing the ball. You're you're hand fighting the entire time. Like, you're not going to get that call. And that's something that you're just going to have to learn as you go through the college ranks. Um, it's got to be interceptions. You know, David Gibbs comes in with this reputation that he can teach turnovers, especially in the secondary. We haven't seen it yet. Now, granted, last year, uh, he, it was bad, but that was buoyed by two linebackers who were gobbling up everything. Now he's got, you know, all freshman corners. So, like, I'm not I'm not expecting a lot of turnovers, but you got to get one through the air. you got to disrupt the passing game somehow with interceptions. And we're just – we have not seen that from this secondary – like at all and whether that's Walters coaching it with hey play your man and we'll figure it out you know just get it when you can or if it's truly a lack of execution and playing the ball uh defending the pass I don't know what that is but we've got to see something because right now Jarvis Ware is the only guy on the on the entire defensive roster who has an interception in his career um so that needs to get better um but the other thing is that, you know, when you're uh, going to tackle somebody and you are, you know, six foot, 180, and you get blocked by some dude who's 6'6", 350 um, in the back, that's pretty bad too, don't you think? Okay, yeah, let's get to it. <laughs> um, so let's recap what the situation is, because I do think this is an important part of why this was such a big call and what, such a big turning point in the game. Because I'm not the guy that typically comes on here and will be like, oh, the refs blew it, they blah, blah. It's not typically the way that I'm going to go. The refs blew it here, and it was bad, and it really hurt Mizzou. So it's third and four. Tennessee has the ball on the Missouri 13-yard line. So they are getting ready. They are driving to score. And at this point in time, there's 45 seconds to a minute left in the first half. Again, Tennessee up, 14-6, to 45 seconds left, third and four, Mizzou 13. That's the situation. They throw a pass to their running back out in the slot. He goes for 13 yards for a touchdown. Beautiful screen pass, perfectly set up. Touchdown, Tennessee, 21-6. They are going into the half with all of the momentum. Except for, wait, wait, was, was that a 350-pound offensive lineman that just blocked the hell out of a corner right in the back? Right in front of a referee? Oh, yes, indeed. It absolutely was. 
and it goes uncalled. Mm-hmm. It can't happen. That They cannot miss that call in that spot if it had been called. Now it is third and 19 on Missouri's 28-yard line with 44 seconds to go in the half. Again, with Tennessee up 14-6 to at that point in time. If they do not convert there, we saw the Tennessee kicker. It is no guarantee that he makes that field goal there. It is entirely possible Missouri's going into the half now, down 14-6, to feeling really good about the possibility that they come out in the second half. And now you've got a real opportunity there when you get the ball coming out in the second half. So that completely changed the game. Missouri would not have won this game either. No. They weren't going to no. do it. Tennessee was the better team today. There's no question about it. However, it was a huge momentum swing that they did not call that there, and it was a massive miss, and that is something that cannot happen in a game like that, and especially in a situation like that where the referee was right there to make the call. Yeah. Very disappointing. And like you, yeah, the the butterfly effect from that play coming back, who who knows what would have happened. But if I can see it as the play is happening, I kind of feel like the referee should be able to see it too. Um, at least that's how I've always operated. So sucks we didn't get that one. We still would have lost, but the optics would have been a little bit better. And the, you know, the feeling around the team might be a little bit better. Momentum might have changed. And who knows where we get to. So game script changes it too. does down 21 to six as opposed to 14 to six yeah. completely changes the way that you come out in the second half you it know does. and in the end like mizzou ended up punting on their first drive oh, yeah. and tennessee ended up scoring on their first drive in the second half on what was just a devastating 16 play 92 yard six and a half minute drive and that was all folks that was it um, that that would have been the game ender regardless whether it was 14 to 6 at that point or 21 to 6 at that point and it was so it didn't matter like you said in terms of like the actual win loss situation but it could have been helpful for the optics and it didn't go that you're way, a young bad team you need some breaks and that was not a break mm-hmm. <laughs> some yeah. of those breaks you can generate via turnover um or just effort but that's another break that you need and didn't happen. So, hey, we got it out of our system out of a game that we probably wouldn't have won anyway. So, when we play Vandy, when we play Arkansas, when we play, oh, God, maybe Kentucky. When you have a shot, <laughs> a decent shot, hopefully, uh, you you know, you get all that all your system and breaks start going your way. So, What's the goal next week? Uh, like, if, as we, we'll, we'll get way more into this on Tuesday. Yeah. But, like, so one-liner, what's the goal against LSU? I'd like to see LSU play Vandy, but if it goes the way that I think it's going to go, all I want to see from the Tigers next week is score two touchdowns. Two. I don't care if it's running. I don't care if it's through the air. I don't care if it's an interception return, fumble return, special teams. I want to see some. I want to see two scores, and I'd like to see them at least one in the first half, where you're keeping it close, you're feeling good, Maybe you're down 14. Maybe you're down three. I don't know. But give me some touchdowns in the first half going into the second half and going, all right, we can we can, we can, can work with this. That's what I want to see. What about you? I want to see more of Connor Bazelik. I want to see him show me that this was real, what we saw this week against Tennessee, and that he can be the starting quarterback and he can put some distance between himself and Sean Robinson. Um, I would like to see that, first of all. And second of all, I I would like to see the defense make some plays. 
Um, that's something they almost did it on that drive where they had three goal line stops. And then on fourth down, of course, Tennessee ends up being able to punch it in. But make a couple of big-time plays, big-time stops for the offense, whether that be a turnover where you give it back to the offense or um, you end up in a, in a situation where Mizzou's down 14-7. to You come up with a huge spot, stop mm-hmm. right, uh, getting ready to go into the half, and you give the offense two minutes to maybe come up with a nice little drive mm-hmm. to tie things up. Something like that. Uh, because so far this year, and it's two really good opponents, and it will be another good, good one next <laughs> yep. week, um, they haven't been able to do that. And the, today, or Saturday, if you're listening to this on Sunday or Monday, uh, they gave up 422 total yards of offense to Tennessee. Yeah. It's, it's too much. You, you got to get some stops. You got to make some negative plays. Um, I saw the stat earlier today about tackles for yeah, loss. Yeah, Dave Madison was Mizzou two. Had two of them Ugh. total in this game. Uh, make some plays, man. Somebody's got to come up with some plays. It was two tackles for loss, two sacks. So it was on those two sacks that they had the tackles for loss. Basically, when Tennessee ran the pl- ran the ball, they were getting positive yardage every single time. Dude. You gotta get them behind the sticks at some point. You've gotta have a second and twelve at yeah. some point. And Mizzou's defense today was not able to do that against Tennessee. Those success rates are gonna be beastly for their running game. I'm already, I'm morbidly curious, but kind of dreading it. So, uh, any last thoughts? Just disappointing, yeah. really. Um, for as much as there was that was goodwill to come out of that Mizzou loss against Alabama. Um, the fact that you ended up keeping it closer against Alabama than you, than you did Tennessee <laughs> is is really disappointing, you yeah. know? And it speaks to the fact that Alabama really did take their foot off of the gas in that first game. Yeah. Um, and in this one, we, we saw Tennessee just kind of beat the heck out of Mizzou. They were just the better team from start to finish of that game, and there was really no time when that was in doubt. Yeah. And that's disappointing to me. Uh, I knew that going into the game, of course, but... I was hopeful that they would be able to keep that one a little closer than they ended up being able to do. So my biggest thing is it was just as hopeful as I was coming off of last week's game against Alabama. I'm not disappointed about the results and the the effort that was given today against Tennessee. Doesn't really change too much from the win loss. This was always considered a loss, and you know, Vandy and uh, and Arkansas are still going to be the best best chances for a win this year. That's not really going to change at all. Uh, but yeah, disappointing. With uh, with some positivity that we found last week, that pretty much disappeared for this week, and that's okay. We'll get a crack at uh, LSU on next Saturday, and we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, the the good guy Tigers are ready to take it to the bad guy Tigers uh, in Baton Rouge at eight o'clock. <laughs> uh, well, you know what, BK, I don't think we're going to be doing any podcasting after dark, but um, <laughs> who knows? We'll see how much we've. <laughs> we've drank and how surly we're feeling if we want to do it or not yeah if that one ends up being like a 42 to 7 loss and i god i hope it's not uh we'll just podcast on That's sunday right. or something yeah. like we'll, we'll we'll have this too yeah. it'll be out eventually yeah. i can't promise it will be out right after the game the way that we yeah. try to we'll try to have it for every other game when they're not playing at you know midnight eastern So anyway, we'll see you all on Wednesday. That's our recap show for today. We appreciate you tuning in. Sorry they didn't win, but hey, there's always next time. Uh, We appreciate the downloads. We appreciate the subscriptions. Leave a comment for rate us. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, I'm IZ. 
Zio you. <laughs>